From Creative Force, I'm Daniel Jester, and this is the e-commerce content creation podcast. In this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast, I will play the role of chief money bags of brand X. We need to build video capability into our content production, and I've brought on board Benjamin Grimes, who's the general manager of Sammy's Camera Cinema Works, and Shanna Ferris of Creative Force to help me. You may remember Shanna from episode 14 of this podcast, where we also discussed video production. In this episode, we get deep into the weeds of how to make it happen from space to people to equipment. That's a great opportunity for when you're going to be scaling, right? So if you think about as you're starting to create content and you're continuing to increase your output, there's going to be specialists that you're going to want to bring in, not just specialists as executors, but then also specialists to be able to lead your functional groups. We can work with kind of lower levels of light and still have, I think, quality that's going to meet most guidelines for you know, e-commerce. But with cameras that are more sensitive, we come back to lighting control. This is a long episode and we cover a lot of ground in this episode. So I'm going to have us jump right in without much further ado. So with that, let's just take a listen. This is the e-commerce content creation podcast. I am your host, Daniel Jester, coming to you from my little tiny studio here in Southern California. And joining me on the episode today, actually, before I introduce my guests, I want to give you, the listener, a little bit of a premise. So this episode, as you may, I don't know what we've titled this episode yet, but it's probably going to have the word video in the title. And you may already know that one of our guests is returning to have this conversation, but we're doing something a little bit different than we've done for past episodes. We did an episode with Shanna Ferris where we talked about video production and how to incorporate it into your studio. I have invited Shanna back on the podcast. Shanna, go ahead and say hi. Hello. Thank you so much for having me again. For this episode, we're going to say that I am a brand who's decided that we want to set up video. We have made the decision. We have a strategy that we're happy with. We have our goals, KPIs, metrics, and everything. And now I need people to help me do this. And so a special treat for our listeners today, we have a second guest, which is not something that we do very often. My second guest for this episode, who's going to help Shanna help me set up video for my fictitious brand, is Benjamin Grimes, General Manager at Sammy Cinema Works and Pro Sales. Benjamin, how are you doing? Hey, doing great. Good morning. So that's basically it, guys. I've decided I'm a brand, Daniel Brand, whatever we want to call it. We can think of a snappy <laughs> name later. Uh, but I've decided, we've organizationally, we've decided that we want to do video. And let's set some ground rules first, and then you guys are going to help me figure out where to start and what we need to be thinking about. So we're a brand. We've been around for a while. We've got a little bit of money, not like astronomical capital to invest in this, but we have money. We've made this decision and we have a stills space currently that is basically at capacity. So like we've got a little bit of room that we could juggle some things around, but we do have a still studio today. We want to do video, but we don't know anything about it. We have nobody on our team who has expertise in video and we've brought Shanna, you and Benjamin, you in to kind of help us figure this out. So that's it, guys. Where do we start? We're sitting around the round table in the boardroom of my office building. Benjamin, we're going to throw it to you. We're going to let you kick it off. What's what's the first thing that we should be thinking about? We've we've got some buy-in. We've got a little bit of budget. What are we thinking about first? Well, on the equipment side, this is exactly what I do for a living, actually. Um, brands come to Sammy's. They talk to our pro sales team or cinema works team, and they give us this goal. We want to in-house a studio or we want to convert 
a photography studio and what do we need equipment wise to get there? And really there's a lot of things that we want to look at with the client normally starts with a location visit to sort of assess if this is going to be doable challenges that you run into when we want to move kind of from a still capture space to motion space to me are chiefly lighting control. A lot of the spaces that we can have excellent commercial photography in have really less than perfect architectural and ambient lighting. And we typically need to take total control of that lighting scenario. Other factors as well, we like to talk to clients about power consumption, needs of different equipment that they might be interested in using, and if they actually have a facility that can support that type of thing. We kind of start there. The other thing that I like to talk about is the guidelines of their brand, what they want their imagery to look like. I love speaking visually first and foremost, staying in that creative space if they have other brands that they think are doing a great job looking at that. And with kind of our industry insight, what we do at Sammy's, working backwards from that imagery mm. to decide what type of equipment they might need to bring to the table and if their space can accommodate that. I was thinking going into this that space might be one of the places that we would want to look at first. Yeah. And you brought up some great points in there. As I mentioned, my brand, we have a studio space. Right now, it's pretty full of sets and we've got a corner that's just like slammed full of excess equipment and all of these things. But you bring up a great point on lighting control. There's going to be a lot going on. Like we're using strobe in our still studio right now, which means there's right. going to be pops of light everywhere. And that mm -hmm. probably is going to impact video. Shanna, from a space perspective, let's talk a little bit about considerations for a space. Let's say repurposing our current space, if we want to do that versus standing up a new video space. What are some things we should be thinking about from a process perspective from your side of the table? So when I think about space, I really think about how people work and what their core functions are and what's going to be the best physical space to allow them to work the most effectively, right? So I, I'm totally aligned um, with a lot of things that you were saying, Benjamin, where you're kind of looking at from the production lens for your sets, what's going on with your lighting. I think, Daniel, you just mentioned a bit about strobes and how that might affect video capture as well. There's also some funny other things where like if you happen to be by a really like large vibrating air conditioning unit, yeah. right? That could actually like shake your camera. And when you're doing still, it's fine because you're just capturing a frame, right? But if it's video, then you really have a, <laughs> you're up a different situation over there. But for things that I also think about when it comes to space, it's maybe not necessarily always just on set and production focused, but also the different types of roles that funnel into your whole video pipeline as well, right? So we're talking about also post-production, where if post is going to be enabled to work pretty successfully, then they would need more of a dimly lit room. They would need to be able to have color corrected monitors. They need space to be able to collaborate, but also be able to kind of have their own space to work. Same thing with art and fabrication. If you have different art direction that you need to be able to facilitate on site, if you're working on different sets for lifestyle, potentially, there's kind of all those different needs of how do your different functional groups work best? What are their different needs and also physical space needed to do those tasks? But then also creating kind of like that ambiance, kind of like with that lighting situation or maybe even like a closed in room, for example, yeah. thinking about things like sound stages or an audio recording booth, lots of different kind of components depending on what your creative is going to look like and what your needs are there. Holy smokes, guys. I have a hundred <laughs> million questions and we haven't even gotten out of space yet. 
shit. We okay. Let me unpack this a little bit. So I want to jump to, oh my gosh, where do I even go with this? Okay. I'm going to, I guess, work backwards through everything that you just said. Shanna, you made a great point. And I also didn't specify this up front that we as a brand have decided that we want to incorporate video for some categories of product for PDP pages. So that will live on our site with other product stills as well. Yeah. Only for certain categories. We don't think that there's going to be a lot of movement on some categories, but some apparel categories we do want to shoot some video for. Mm-hmm. That yeah. being said, we're doubling down on social. We want to have some sets. We want to have some ambiance. We're not envisioning building living room sets in our video production area, but we do want to have some nice on-trend things that work for our brand. Yeah. So that being said... I hadn't thought about this and I came into this thinking I was pretty prepared that I had thought about some stuff. I think about things for a living at my brand. That's what I do here. A workshop. Yeah. It's one thing to have a still studio that's shooting product where your sets are mostly just either a white psych wall or white paper or whatever you're using. But if we were going to get into video and we wanted to have the ability to build some flats, do some set design, do some art direction, workshop space is something we absolutely need. Definitely. The other thing you mentioned... Benjamin, about power. I feel like, Shanna, you mentioned air conditioning and HVAC. Benjamin, you mentioned power. So let's talk a little bit about that. Like, what are we thinking we need in terms of power? And Benjamin, I'm going to throw it to you. I know this is a little bit of an equipment conversation as well. Yeah. But space-wise, like, what should we be looking at for power, assuming we want to stand up video today for PDP and social mostly, but we want to have room. That's the other thing I should say. We want to have room to grow. We want to have room to scale. If we're going to be investing money today, we want to think about where we need to be in five years and 10 years. So let's talk a little bit about power and also about temperature control for the space. What should we be considering here? We need to think about what we're imaging here. What are the size of our sets, depending on what we're having to encompass in the frame? And if we're talking, you know, close on figure, head to toe with lots of negative space around a frame, that's a lot of light. Cameras are incredibly sensitive now, but we're still going to need a level of output continuously. That's very different from strobe lighting. Strobe lighting, we have you know, potential energy stored that's released. We're not actually pulling that much continuous electricity. My rule of thumb would be if we're doing close-on figure, something where we have a larger frame like that, I would want to see at least 50 amps per set. Hmm. Really, I think 100 amps is sort of the industry standard in most studios that do filmmaking continuously. However, with LED lighting, I think we're going to continually see that requirement drop more and more and more. LED is more efficient, just as HMI was more efficient when it sort of became the new industry standard. And as we move away from hot lights, we're going to require less electricity. We're going to generate less heat, so we won't need quite the same requirements. However, a lot of our clients, we go in, they have eight or nine different photography bays, and they might have 200 amp service for their entire studio. Mm. So it's something we always like to make mention of. Make sure that you're ready to accommodate this level of continuous draw for your lighting equipment. So I was going to ask you this, Benjamin. Let's say that I am not in Los Angeles or New York. If I do decide that I want to build out a new space for video, it's not likely I'm going to be able to move into a space that has had this sort of production happening in it before. So 50 amps per set, This probably means engaging an electrician in the conversation when we start specking out spaces. I probably won't find this if I'm not in Los Angeles or New York City. Well, you know, commercial properties need high power. I mean, machinery and things like that will require high amperage. So it's not uncommon to encounter, you know, warehouse or commercial space. It's going to have 400 amp service or more. That's really sort of, I think, a target if somebody were looking for a new space. And if we have that opportunity to talk ground up, 
I want to come back to this kind of conversion conversation because it's really a good one. But from ground up, even our architectural lighting can be filming grade lighting. It can be full spectrum light that won't create unwanted issues in our imagery. So you're saying that even if we were actually physically building a new space for this, like renovating a place where we were running all the electrical that we could incorporate into it, the lighting that we would need to just function as humans in the space, we could build lighting that would be effective for some video, depending on obviously art direction, but some of the things we'd want to do, we just build that into the lighting. Overhead lighting, you could make sure that you're using film grade full spectrum lighting that could help you, especially on psych wall type sets or cove type sets. They could be used in the place of what would typically be like a space light. A lot of studios, when they're doing build outs from the ground up with purpose built spaces, they're able to do that. Jana, I don't know. You, you look like you've got something to say. <laughs> so I think it's interesting when you were talking about sort of like a ground up framework or approach. Things that I also think about when you kind of have the opportunity to really start fresh or be able to understand what your needs are from the beginning is also to think about storage and what type of infrastructure you may need from a technical side to be able to host your assets, to be able to collaborate mm -hmm. with your assets. And that sometimes manifests in a physical way through like a NAS that would be on site, right? Mm -hmm. So being able to have a server, potentially a server room, partnering with your IT team if you have one, or being able to bring in specialists to be able to consult on that. There's lots of different physical considerations that actually come with if you end up going that route with your file storage and management. So me as chief money bags of this brand, <laughs> uh, I am not super clear on what data needs we're potentially talking about. I know roughly what we need to support the still studio that we are operating today. Are we talking exponentially more data movement and storage for video production at scale? Yeah. Like how many times are we talking? 10 times more? 100 times? If you're doing video production at scale and you have a sort of more of a loose retention policy, so you want to keep all of your assets and you're maybe not cleaning out your archive as frequently, you can very easily hit up to a couple hundred terabytes <laughs> very quickly, depending on what your needs are. And when I say quickly, I'm talking about terms of like one to two years, right? Yeah. That's something to really take into consideration. I've been in instances where, you know, I'd love to be able to promote a culture of being able to have good file management and hygiene so that you don't run into that instance where you're like, oh no, I am right in the middle of 50 productions. I have really high volume going on, but my server or my IT left. partner, yeah, exactly. They're like <laughs> throwing up the red flag and they're like, you have to figure this out. So trying to mitigate a good strategy for that before you actually get to that point and being able to get the right type of technology and infrastructure in place to be able to support that, whether it's on-prem or it's more cloud focused. Great point. And I want to use that as a segue. I'm going to make a statement and then I want to use that as a segue to, I remembered a question I wanted to ask from earlier. That brings up a space consideration too, because even though data storage is quite cheap and easy to come by, physically it still has to sit somewhere. And the other thing is we're moving so much data that we should probably hardwire our studio for the movement of a lot of this data, right? Like Wi-Fi is fast and it's great, but it still doesn't hold a candle to yep. hardwiring and moving data around. But that brings up a question I wanted to ask you from earlier, Shanna. Do my video editors need to sit in the studio? Is this a matter of they need to have access to the studio for some reason? Or is it just a matter of they need quick access to the data? 
I think a lot of it hinges around the latter point. So, right, like latency and real-time access to data is very important for them to be able to be successful. And it only continues to multiply when you think about editors that may be on an offline workflow. So they're working with lower resolution files. But then once you actually go into color correction, for example, they're working with source and high-res files. So the needs will continue to expand as you start to specialize. And from the get-go, it may even be that your editor is doing all of those tasks at once, right? So they're going to need the access to high-res files in real time. So I would say that there's actually really exciting tech. We're able to do remote editing capabilities. I think that's kind of like an emerging sphere in the past several years. It's very exciting to be able to follow it and see really what we're able to do to promote decentralized working spaces for editors and different people in post-production in combination with different cloud-based review and approval platforms and things like that. So Hmm. yeah, there's some things around innovation in that sphere, but in a more traditional sense, if you're like, hey, I do not have the technical operation support to be able to dive into that realm right out the gate, then you definitely would want to have a centralized location for all of your assets, able to hit it at real time, potentially through like a fiber connection or something like that with all of your editors and post on site. So kind of a couple different ways you can approach. Yeah. So Benjamin, along the lines of that question to you, I'm pretty convinced after talking to Shanna that we should have space for our video editors either directly adjacent to the studio Mm-hmm. loud and clear that they need their own room, they need a quiet working area. That I very much understand from the still side of the business that the retouchers work in different environments from where the production is happening, but they should be geographically close. That makes sense to me. Benjamin, IT's got some old computers in a cabinet, so I can probably just grab those out for the video editors, right? Like we can build them a nice space and bring in some of these old Mac Pros that we have in the cabinet for them. Sure, it's just going to cost you. You know, anything we're doing with video encoding, <laughs> We're going to be at the absolute limit of almost any computer you can buy. So we're talking about drastically different, just sitting, waiting process times, bringing in modernized computing equipment versus using something that's even two years old. So that's a huge cost savings to invest and upgrade, just the computing power of what you're going to have on site. You know, another thing, just thinking about how some of the photography studios that we work with have been able to really sort of optimize their workflow is they don't have to have an art director on every set. You go through and as you move bay to bay, there's actually one central location where somebody is actually able to kind of look at assets as they're generated. And I think that conversation, we want to have that same sort of ability in a filmmaking space. However, we do have such large files, but especially with COVID and a lot of people needing to bring fewer people onto their productions, we have so much technology that really has been pushed in the entertainment space to have remote kind of streaming from hmm. actual cameras on location. There are what we call encoder boxes. Companies like Teradek that we normally associate with wireless video transmission are making boxes where we can quickly take, you know, raw video signals and create H.265 and, you know, more kind of streaming friendly codecs that we can have network access to. And they even provide services where you can log in and look almost in real time, a few frames behind with even things like 10, 15 megabyte per second upload speed, which is not that much, especially in any decent city. So we do now have this capability for one person to kind of look in at what's happening. It's not as difficult as it once was. That's another thing you might look at. So right now I know in our stills studio that we've got an art director who does exactly what you said. They will go move from bay to bay. They don't review every image that comes off set, but they will spot check and they will try to catch things here and there. 
but you're saying that we could, in theory, build out a space either here in our office building or somewhere near the studio or as part of the studio. I was picturing when you were saying that, like the behind the scenes shot of the people who are shooting a live sporting event where they've got a bank of monitors and they can see from set to set. Is that kind of what you're talking about? Like one spot they could sit there and they could just see everything that's going on in the studio? I think that would be beautiful, the sort of man who fell to earth type zone. But really, it could just be a web browser and them jumping from encoder to encoder to Mm. kind of put eyes on what's happening on that set. And also, I mean, beyond that, having remote cameras that are in there so they can even look at styling. What are we flowing into that set next? Maybe having some comments on a chat or we've had a lot of digital technicians that are our customers that have created comm systems for individual sets where you can have a remote art director a brand manager actually talk to people on the set, give advice, and they could manage multiple sets at once. It's a beautiful thing. That's a kind of an interesting point too about being able to promote real-time communication and collaboration throughout the shoot, during real-time throughout the shoot, and then also throughout the entire process. I think that that's sometimes a risk that happens as you start to build out either new parts of your workflow or attempt new content. Maybe certain silos start to come up But being able to really focus on how are you actually able to still promote a realm of communication and collaboration where it makes sense throughout your whole workflow. And if that means trying to figure that out in a remote environment, like what are the capabilities that we have today and beyond to be able to facilitate that? This is a very exciting idea to me because one of the things that I think would be kind of cool as we're getting ready to stand up video is we would like to kind of bring sort of celebrity art directors in for short term projects. So this would mean that we could engage somebody from anywhere around the world to art direct some social content for us without needing to necessarily bring them to Kalamazoo, which is where my brand is. I don't know. I was saying we weren't in LA or New York. I was trying to think (laughs) of a random place. My point is that since we're building this essentially from the ground up, we could build in the capabilities to allow for much more remote work, which will not only benefit us in the case of an extreme business disruption, but also just expand our capacity to engage talent that we want to use, right? Speaking of talent, I want to shift and talk a little bit about people for our space. So I've got the two of you sitting here and we're talking about you know where we're going to kind of start on this and how we're going to approach everything. And I know that what worked really well for us, we've got a pretty big stills team now, but early on we had a very small crew and we engaged a lot of freelance talent. It makes sense to me to use that same strategy on the video side. So we're not necessarily going to run out and hire people to shoot video. We have some of the stylists that we use on the stills side. I think we'll be able to style on the video side as well. But my question to you is, What kind of core team should I look at building here? Full-time employees who are here to oversee our video production. Shanna, I'm going to kick it to you first. And then Benjamin, whenever you've got an opportunity, you can jump in. So I think when you're thinking about people, especially as you're starting to approach new type of content that you want to create, is to be able to create essentially a unit that is going to be successful and moves in lockstep together, right? So you're continuing to have someone that's going to be able to lead your strategy, which I know you guys have predefined in your studio, which is amazing. Because we listened to your episode. That's yes. why. <laughs> we listened to your last podcast episode. We knew we, needed to stay, we knew we couldn't just start shooting video. We needed to have a reason and the strategy, but carry Beautiful. on. Yeah, yeah. No, it's perfect. So, you know, depending on those parameters, that's really going to continue to inform what you focus on first. But I think at a high level, 
you're going to want to get your creative direction and how you're going to start to tactically create your assets Mm -hmm. based on that strategy, right? So it's like you have your goal and then you're going to want to make sure that you have a creative director that understands and has the experience with video. So it's a really exciting thing to be able to add video to your studio, but I do think it's very important to be able to bring in a creative that does have specific video experience just with all of the different nuances and moving parts that can really set your studio up for success down the line Mm -hmm. when you're starting to ideate on the actual content that you're going to be creating at scale later. So that is huge. This is a video creative director. Like what, like, Mm -hmm. is there a title that you can point me to and and what type of background am I looking for in this person? But you did specify that they should be creative and they should be high level, right? Like this is the person who's going to essentially lead the studio. Yeah, I think that there's probably a delineation of roles there. So someone that's a lead for management and that you probably already have for your studio, which is amazing. And then being able to probably find someone that meshes well with your photo, the current creative director that you have, right? For who is leading your photo studio, being able to find a creative director that has specific video experience. So they're, I would say just kind of like a creative director is just the normal title, but with that video experience, that's going to be able to not only collaborate with your existing campaign and brand direction as executed by the photo team already, but then also figuring out what video is going to look like for probably crossover projects and probably cross-functional campaigns and things like that. So Hmm. really starting to build out what that looks like. How are you providing value to the customer and what is that going to visualize and materialize as? You made a great point that I um, I made a note here as we're getting ready to hire this role because I remember from your last episode, Shanna, that we don't want to build any silos. We don't want video to exist, especially if we're considering, which you made a pretty compelling case for us to go out and find a new space to house our, our video production. Both of you made a great case for that. But I want to be careful that video doesn't become its own siloed and insular part of the business and that it's working in collaboration with stills because this is all part of the brand, right? So I made a note here to include some of my leadership from the stills studio in the hiring process to make sure that we are finding the right talent that can work well with that team. Benjamin, from your perspective, what are your thoughts on this? Like, what does our core team look like? Normally, who I interface with when this project comes under play is actually a lead photographer or, you know, a photography studio manager. And they've sort of been tasked with how do we bring motion into our workspace? Initially, I think you can get pretty far with that. But I think this person that has this role, I meet a lot of these people that are in this role. They use oftentimes like names like digital technician, but they're, it's not the traditional digital technician role. It's a digitech who's also an art director who's able to kind of go set to set and make sure that we're both hitting the qualifiers for the, the actual video quality, exposure check, you know, focus check, all these things that can be a little bit more complex when dealing with motion assets. However, they also have sort of this technical expertise to guide their studio through things like these, you know, moving large amounts of data, networking, things like that. So I would say it's somebody that has kind of this Digitech background that can also work in the same kind of professional language with like a professional gaffer, somebody that really knows lighting at an expert level, or they have an expert level of sort of lighting expertise. Great points on the core team, guys. And I've heard that sort of loud and clear. One question I want to ask about on the team side, it stands to reason for me that video editing is going to be a pretty different beast than 
stills retouching. So should I also be looking for maybe a full-time core team member whose job it is to manage the video post-production side of things? I think that that's a great opportunity for when you're going to be scaling, right? So if you think about as you're starting to create content and you're continuing to increase your output, there's going to be specialists that you're going to want to bring in, not just specialists as executors, but then also specialists to be able to lead your functional groups and make sure that you're creating consistency across not only that specific functional group, like post-production, for example, but then also across video post and photo post. Sometimes when you're trying to start and just continue to learn and iterate, that maybe you're centralizing roles and making kind of like a jack-of-all-trades in a bit for in a single headcount, right? But then as you continue to be able to figure out what your creative looks like, you're locking in your template, you're starting to actually increase your output, that's when, okay, now we really can't have someone whose bandwidth is extremely stretched then trying to project manage post-production and also execute and also talk to a photo. So I think, you know, there's like a sweet spot in there where you don't quite get to that burnout bandwidth point. And I would love <laughs> for studios not to get there where you can really keep an eye on how things are going. And that's really where honestly, like your operations manager is going to come into play. If you have someone that's making sure that they're evaluating your process, continuing to see where you have bottlenecks and opportunities to optimize, then they're going to be able to identify what headcount you're going to need to project, forecast out, and be able to make sure that you're going to hit your target. So so crawl, walk, run then is what you're saying. Let's start yeah, off small always. on that side and then like learn some lessons and figure out what we need. Let's shift the conversation a little bit to equipment. We've touched on some equipment items as we talked about the space and even talked about people and video post-production and things like that. Benjamin, I want to talk about hardware. I know from talking to my studio manager that it makes sense to invest money in lenses because lens technology tends to move a little bit slower than camera body technology. And so buying a really nice lens, you can usually like get a lot of lifetime out of that. Mm-hmm. Is there similar conventional wisdom on the video side? Like where should we be investing our money for longevity and where should we be investing our money for setting this up quickly? A lot of the core items you're purchasing equipment-wise are the same. I mean, grip equipment, power distribution equipment, and a lot of the lighting controls that you're going to be using, you know, butterfly frames, fabric diffusion bounces. These are all equally applicable from your kind of former photo set and into your motion set. But really lighting right now, we do have kind of a moving target with lighting technology. If we look at the last 10 years of continuous lighting output, we now have the opportunity to bring this type of studio we're discussing to continuous lighting that's LED, where even five years ago, likely it would have had a component of hot lighting. So I think the time is now to make sure that you're weighting your equipment acquisitions in LED lighting. It has too many benefits to be ignored as far as the heat that it's not going to generate into your space. So the HVAC, you're not going to have to bolster uh, your team that's going to be happier and safer not having to handle extremely hot equipment and be exposed to kind of lamps that randomly explode and glass that cracks and hands that get burned. (laughs) It's really, I think, a time in this sort of mid-level studio space to make sure that we're looking at those technologies when we're planning. And they have really no measurable shelf life. These LED arrays will last a lifetime, technically. And we will see better capabilities and way of output in the future. And that's really one thing we want to talk about is What are we waiting on technology-wise? And it's definitely these 5K and 10K and brighter LED arrays that can give us a point light source at that super high output level. There's not a lot in that space, and it's really something we're looking forward to 
potentially even make studios where still photography and filmmaking can be done in the exact same way mm. or these output levels that we just don't have an LED widely yet. Can we bridge the gap on LED output today with camera sensitivity? So, yeah. you know, cameras that are getting better and better at higher ISOs. This is, again, because I'm chief money bags and don't know a lot about this. I know this from my studio manager that you can shoot at higher ISOs than you could five years ago with yep. little to no noise. Can we bridge the gap on output with LED with the cameras that we choose to use in our studio? Absolutely. Most cinema cameras dedicated motion capture cameras, if you're new to this space, their native recording ISO, where their most clean signal-to-noise ratio comes out is like 640, 800. Oftentimes cameras have a dual kind of ISO structure where they can go up to 20,000 and noise drops down again. So we can work with kind of lower levels of light and still have, I think, quality that's going to meet most guidelines for you know e-commerce. But with cameras that are more sensitive, we come back to lighting control Typically, the first thing I'm doing if we have a photography studio that wants to bring in motion capture is talk about light control. So do we need to rearrange your architectural lighting to make sure that they can absolutely turn off any unwanted source? Oftentimes, we go to textile and lighting control vendors that make custom you know, overhead frames and large you know, duvetines and solids well, that we can essentially build cubes of duvetines on frames around a space where motion capture needs to take place so that strobes aren't spilling into the area. And that's something that we do at Sammy's as well. We work with all these motion picture vendors. We can get any type of you know custom dimension frame fabric made to encapsulate an area in an existing studio to control light. We're not taking care of sound issues, uh, but we can actually make a totally controlled atmosphere for them to not mix their lighting with their, their windows architectural and neighboring sets. Great point. And I do want to mention, I'm not going to touch audio at all because my head is already spinning. (laughs) Uh, That presents entirely new dynamic and a new dimension of complications to this. This has been a very productive conversation. And I think our team is leaning towards building us a new state-of-the-art studio. Whether we build it from the ground up or we find a space nearby that we can renovate, either way, that seems like the right way to go because we're invested in video for the long haul. However, we got a TikTok campaign that needs to go live next week. Benjamin, yep. how do we make that happen? I mean, I think one thing we can do today, let's take a lighting line like Profoto, for example. All of their modifiers fit onto a 100 millimeter diameter fixture. And we can either swap out speed rings and adapters on the back of those same modifiers, light banks, soft boxes, snoots, grids, for an LED array that we can insert into the exact same modifier. So take out the strobes, put in continuous, roll. You know, that's something we can talk about. So we can leverage some of the equipment we have in our still studio today to try sure. to get started on video. And if my memory serves, we're shooting Canon 5D Mark IVs in our still studio, which what are we talking video capability wise on that? TikTok 5D Mark IVs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, for what we would probably need for that type of delivery, that's probably a good choice. You can actually use the same camera. I like what you mentioned earlier, Shauna, about camera stability. It's super important. This is one of the most sort of unexpected costs when I'm talking to a new studio. Camera movement, Mm -hmm. it costs time, it costs money. It's almost impossible to recreate the same camera movement without buying motion control equipment or expensive large dolly systems. It's a place where we might say it's actually time to think about a $25,000 or $30,000 
broadcast lens that can zoom from 25 to 250 just because it's going to save you that camera movement multiple times mm. a day on that set. And I can talk to some of the biggest brands with largest e-commerce studios. That's their solution. Don't move the camera, move the lens, mm. automate that lens movement. And do it in post. Like that. Yep. I think that sounds like a good plan, Benjamin. We've got some resources that we can leverage today. You guys mentioned light control, so we need to figure out a way to segregate one of our stills bays and create sort of a video booth for that. With LED, we're not super concerned about it getting crazy hot in there. But like I said, we are interested in growth and scaling. We want to invest in this process for ourselves. Video doesn't seem like it's going anywhere. I'm assuming that like we already got 4K on most of our devices. It's not long before we're going to be serving up 4K on most of our devices. So let's talk a little bit about growth and scaling. From a process standpoint, Shanna, what is the key to scalability for our video production? I think there are so, so many keys to scalability, right? But I'm going I'm to give you an example just to make sure that we can get moving. So with this, I would say using a data-driven practice to inform not only how you're doing today, but also what you'll be able to accomplish given future projections, right? So as you're building out your core team, what you've been able to accomplish thus far, you're really looking to make sure that you have a dedicated operations manager to look at what your process is from the get-go, staying keyed into your targets, and also understanding the evolving targets and capabilities of your business partners. So if you really want to be able to scale successfully, you are likely not operating in a silo as a studio entity, right? You're part of of a larger company that has lots of other different departments that have capabilities and their own goals as well. So being able to create a culture and build relationships that you can foster over time as your studio needs go and continue to grow with, say, IT, your merchandising team, your other marketing partners, like where can you really establish that foundation and core team across departments that's really going to provide that support network for when you say, hey, we're actually going to try and shoot 8K because this is what we're trying to accomplish for the business. Hmm. This is where we're going. We're moving into actual commercial video in this projection and really having the understanding and the relationships there to be able to have the support from your other different parts of your business to be able to do that successfully. So whether that means procuring new applications and software, whether that means being able to provide different metadata needs to your mm -hmm. merchandising team for SEO and things like that. Like there's lots of different ways that all the different departments can come together to really support the different targets that they have on their own roadmap, but through the means of content and what that means for both video and photo, honestly. Hmm. So being able to use all of your data that you're collecting from the get-go to be able to inform that in the end. I just want to talk about it from the equipment side. And I think versatility is something we always encourage our clients to look at. If you knew the exact lighting scenario your brand was going to want to use from here until the distant future, absolutely, there's cost savings. We can lock you into one look and trade versatility, and you can spend less on equipment. But I want to make sure wherever possible, we have the broadest amount of functionality with all equipment that comes into the studio. So with lighting, what I really advise brands to look at is actually point lighting. So lights that come from a single source that's small, that are incredibly powerful, because we can always build those back to be the same sort of quality of light of panels, soft boxes, light banks by modifying them. So I think Got we it. get the most versatility there. I want to see people buy the most powerful fixtures that they can reasonably kind of bring into their studio at one point in time, because it's going to give them the ability to create sets with deeper focus, larger sets in the future. 
I want to encourage them to look at cinema cameras, probably versus DSLR or mirrorless cameras, because they're going to have native sensitivity settings that are much higher, which they'll require less light. Um, they're also going to give them the capabilities to have something more akin to a raw file from the photography side, hmm. something that has log gamma, it has a flat contrast curve, can go to the editing team and they can tune that to be one look this day, another look the next day. And we should talk about this. When you're lighting a set for photography, oftentimes you go into a studio and maybe they're using Capture One or another raw editing process and you turn off their you know, curves adjustment and all the presets that they've kind of laid over their actual capture. And it's a mess. They're correcting for using a much more economical lighting scenario through immediately manipulating the file. We cannot get as far with motion capture. We mm. have to have lighting that gets very, very close to our deliverable, much more so than we do with still capture. The reason being, because of this data size, maybe we're using a 10-bit camera in most e-commerce studios. It would be great if we could use 12-bit capture from something like an Ari Cinema camera, 16-bit capture from something like a RED camera. However, most cameras like Sony broadcast equipment, Canon cameras, you're probably going to record in an 8-bit or 10-bit codec. Your color subsampling is going to be 420, maybe 422. That file has to be set at an exposure that's more or less managed and close to our delivery because we cannot change the brightness four or five stops and be happy hmm. with the contrast curve and resulting quality. So everything has to be kind of taken care of there. So if we invest in an actual dedicated cinema capture device, we're going to have a file that's going to go to post with a lot more capability, less reshoots, and just a lot more kind of longevity from that equipment. We're not going to be replacing it when 4K becomes the inevitable standard of some of these spaces. I'm a good chief moneybags. Let's put it that way. I understand the value of investment. I want to take care of my team and I want to give them the best possible equipment because it's not enough just to make money. I would like my company employees to be happy as well. But I also want to be able to protect the brand and do that as easily as possible. And to me, it makes sense that the best possible way to protect the brand in terms of creative assets is to consolidate all of these things and integrate them all together. So we talked a little bit about using photo sets to shoot video. So are we at the point today, and this is an open question for either one of you, are we at the point today that I can pull stills, if I buy the right camera and have the right lighting, that I can pull stills from my video footage or some other way incorporate that into my video production? Or do we need to wait? Is that a future state thing? A lot of people are testing. The, uh, the quality is there. Through what we're looking at, in particular, 12K cameras coming out from Blackmagic. Red is oh obviously. Oh, God, had, I didn't know that. I didn't know we were at 12K already. Oh, yeah, absolutely. We have oh, obviously. This is had, not Chief Moneybags talking. <laughs> this is Daniel talking, and I just got a headache thinking yeah, about that. Absolutely. Red Digital Cinema have had, you know, 6K and 8K cameras out for a long time now. Mm -hmm. And I have to talk about Red for a moment because I think that they're probably still the industry leader for this workflow for a capture device. The way that their cameras record, um, sort of grabbing every pixel at once, creating a file that's essentially a raw still image mm. per frame in video at 16-bit color. Red DSMC2 camera means digital still motion camera. And you can have an 8K file that's essentially a 36-megapixel image per frame. Really, I think the issues that we have to talk about there are how we set the camera up for beautiful, fluid, smooth motion is not how we set it up to make sure every single frame 
is a tack sharp still we can enlarge. Mm. We embrace a sense of motion blur bridging frame to frame in our motion capture. It makes it look more natural, fluid, and cinematic. But that same concept makes softer still images where we're not going to see you know, the detail on a textile or something that's really sharp enough for a website. So we might talk about kind of the list of compromises we're going to have to make for that. But it is there. The other thing is lighting output. We need to have a higher level of light that's more controlled. But I think LED lighting is that close. I'm expecting to see in the next two years, 5K, 10K, COB, so small LED array lights that are full spectrum, daylight corrected or tungsten corrected, that are going to be able to kind of slot in in this type of environment. I know today, having my meetings with my studio manager, you know, I visited the studio. I understand that we're capturing images on set and we're feeding them directly into our pipeline. We've got great photo studio production management software and everything is visible and everything. It's easy to understand where everything is. My understanding in our initial conversations is that today this is not possible with video, that someone's still going to have to probably run a memory card around somewhere or something like that. Shanna, let's start with you. Uh, Where are we at on moving the data from camera into our workflow? And then, you know, Benjamin, jump in when when, when you've got an opportunity. But I want to talk about what are we looking at today? What are we looking at future state? A lot of this type of conversation is definitely largely hinging on equipment, definitely. I know that that's a route that other companies like Framio, for example, have partnered with hardware to be able to do some camera to cloud transfer. I think that this is just a huge gap in the market, at least from my understanding. And I really, honestly, I'm very curious, Benjamin, what you have to say about this, because Mm -hmm. I am always curious to know, (laughs) how are we going to solve for this? We have to create this bundle of many different files for one video deliverable. I mean, starting with camera capture, we probably have multiple cameras on most sets so that we can create some sort of exciting dynamic by cutting between angles. So, okay, we've got two memory cards in our hand. We need to make sure that frame by frame, we can merge these together for our editing team in a way that's organized. If we have audio, we're at least going to have probably a third and a fourth sort of audio clip that we also need to kind of bundle with this. Today, it's done in kind of what we call a daily deliverable. Everything is tidied by the digital technician onto a hard drive, and that goes to the editing team or it's uploaded onto the network. Even in super high-level, super smart studios, I still see carts with red gaff tape on one side and green gaff tape on another, and video teams are stepping over and flowing those cards to be copied over. We need Mm -hmm. to have software that's giving us a record, a ledger, checksum that's letting us know that every single media card has been copied at the end of that day we want to publish that ledger and accompany our daily deliverables to our editing team with that so if an asset does go missing we can backtrack and find in this kind of slew of data that we've created at what point we've lost it these are things that are definitely going to want to be considered we do have this capability. I can't let you get away with that, Daniel. We do have the capability to capture directly to drives. Lots of cameras can do this now, but we know that we run into issues when multiple things want to talk to one source at one time. Right. So really today, it's probably best practice to go from one device to the next device. But a lot of cameras can record directly to hard disk versus their own you know, solid state media that they require. There are capture devices by companies like AJA and Blackmagic that you can input any video signal into, and they can record relatively robust codecs, 422, 10-bit, ultra-high-def codecs, you know, pretty good quality, not camera raw quality, not the file that's going to have the most editing capability and most dynamic range, but 
one that's probably good enough for most website deliverables. So we could, in theory, though, use that for our day-to-day deliverable and still back up raw video footage mm-hmm. so that we have it if we need it, depending on what our time frame and speed to web needs to be. Let me ask it to you this way, guys, in terms of how far away from something resembling more of a stills pipeline that we're looking at. If I'm building my new state-of-the-art studio, is it worth it to me to put in some of those vacuum tubes that they used to have at the bank where the guy has one down on his set and he can throw his memory card or his drive in there <laughs> oh and shoot it off to the editor so that they can do their thing? Or do I just wait a couple of years to get to the point where I can do it the right way? I hope so. I hope we can do that. Sounds good for snacks. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> Great point. Yeah, actually, a, a pneumatic snack delivery system. Maybe I do it anyway. Yeah, that's pretty good. <laughs> I do want to mention one other thing just on technologies we're looking forward to. At Sammy's, at CinemaWorks, one thing that's really cool about my job, one thing I love is my customers are both incredibly large e-commerce studios that are you know, imaging their product for online sale. And they're also some of the most talented directors of photography that make Hollywood movies. So here in Los Angeles, those two industries you know, cross and form one another so much because they're pushing technology so far for making movies, that we get to use because they have more efficiency and better capabilities in these e-commerce studios. One thing I'm looking at today on the forefront of movie making, if you look at a show like Mandalorian um, and a lot of other television shows and movies shot this last year, they're using LED arrays for their backgrounds behind their Mm. content. Yeah. So Unreal Engine to real time. uh, Sorry if I stole your thunder, Benjamin, but it's very exciting technology to me. Using video game technology basically to render backgrounds in real time is really fucking cool. By the way, we can curse on this podcast. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Unreal Engine. I mean, what these guys are doing, a lot of it right now, they're sort of proprietary technologies in these different movie studios, but there are a lot of new tech companies that are essentially trying to build turnkey solutions A Mm. box you buy that has its own GPU, its own motion tracking technology that looks at the lensing on the camera to report metadata and takes care of a lot of the issues with this. But I think in the e-commerce space, a small set with something like a 10-foot LED video wall that we can swap out over and over and over behind talent or a product would make all the sense in the world. So I'm kind of looking forward to that. Yeah, we almost have that in a sense with the style shoots, some of the... Style Shoots has a number of products that they have on the market, but I know one in particular, you could actually upload an image and project that image on the screen background, which is a long way from the Mandalorian quality, but it does exist today and is quite interesting. That is very, very exciting. And I think that that's a really interesting insight, Benjamin, to share that there's no reason that that wouldn't come to the e-commerce space and be able to do some really incredible things. And I'm envisioning now a future where my brand, Brand X, where I'm chief money bags, just to kind of say that again where we're shooting our own Super Bowl commercials because we've already got all this capability and everything that we need to be able to do it without having to necessarily engage external partners to do that. Guys, this has been an incredibly insightful conversation. I, as Chief Moneybags of Brand X, thanks you very much for your insight and your help. We're going to tackle both things. We're going to build a state-of-the-art studio while we also stand up some capability in our still studio in the interim. And we're going to do it right. We're going to be data-driven. We're going to care about metadata. We're going to care about workflow. We're going to care about where the technology is going to be in five years. Shanna, are there any final thoughts that you have on this project or just in general that you want to share before we wrap up? 
this has been an absolutely great conversation. I'm so glad that we all got to connect on our different perspectives. This whole realm of being able to really have an opportunity to start to bring video into your photo studio is such a hot topic these days. I know it's really where a lot of trends are going with e-commerce specifically, but also within the general marketing sphere, just with so much engagement increase and conversion with adding motion imagery into your pipeline. So I'm very excited to really be able to continue to dive into this as the nature of the market continues to evolve. Benjamin, same question. Any final thoughts that you want to give on this project or just the state of video production in general? And also go ahead and throw out there how people can get in touch with you at Sammy's. We have a lot of listeners all over the world, which I'm very thankful for. But if you're not familiar with Sammy's, Sammy's is essentially the West Coast version of some of the big photo and video studio equipment providers. So you have locations in Los Angeles, all along the West Coast, really. But I don't want to steal your thunder. Go ahead and and tell us about it. Well, we definitely want to invite anybody that's sort of thinking in this space, even just ideating about a future project. Talk to us. One of the greatest things about my job is I'm on site at the largest e-commerce studios in the world. And I'm part of their conversations with their equipment managers, with the people that want to test and learn what's going to work. And we help them through supplying equipment for their testing and ultimately selling them their equipment that they're implementing to deliver what they're delivering. The insights we get from both the entertainment industry, we service rental houses and production companies and the e-com space that we're outfitting is something that we openly sort of want to discuss with new clients that are thinking about a new space. A lot of the time companies don't have a role, you know, like a Shanna or a Daniel when they come to the idea that they need to have motion content for their brand. And we're even part of the conversation before they found these key individuals to help them kind of understand what's the effective cost. How far can we take this with our existing space? We have those conversations all the time. And all you have to do is pick up the phone, call us at Sammy's. I work at the Fairfax office. It's called Cinema Works. It's our fourth floor showroom in Hollywood. It's our flagship location. Or shoot me an email, Daniel. I'll I'll kind of give you the info. Maybe we can um, we'll put it in the show drop notes. Drop that alongside yeah. the uh, the podcast as well. But I work with people that have been with our organization for sixteen, you know, twenty plus years, and they are tracking this technology with customers that are operating at the highest level. And the reason we're in business is because we're technical experts inside of the equipment realm, and we share that info to help people make the best possible decisions when they're bringing imaging equipment into their studio. So, you know, we really hope that you will at least talk to us, get a feel for kind of what we do to know if we might be right for a future project. And outside of that, another thing that I think we do extremely well is I met you, Daniel, when you were working at a studio. And we know a lot of people that are kind of in this space and we can kind of be a node in this kind of community of people that work in spaces like that to help even connect and network people in this industry especially here in Southern California, where we're very, very well connected with the filmmaking and photography industry. Yeah, I think that's something that I appreciate about you. Something that I share as well is it's an industry that I care about. It's interconnected. Everybody knows everybody. And we just want to be a net positive force in general. And so we've known each other for a few years now, and it's a full stamp of approval on Sammy's and the team (laughs) at ProSales and and CinemaWorks from this guy over here. Speaking personally, I guess I don't want to... (laughs) <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what I'm allowed to say or not, yeah, but no, sure. I'm just kidding. That's true. But yeah, thank you guys so much for your time and your expertise. This has been a wonderful conversation for the listener. I admit that this is a long episode. If we can find a way to make it two parts. I know we get a lot of feedback that people actually like the shorter episodes. I like a long podcast, but people like the shorter episodes. So anyway, thank you guys for coming on the show, sharing your insight and your expertise. And, uh, Brand X in a few years, we'll have a state-of-the-art production studio doing some of the cutting-edge work in video production, thanks to your help today. So thank you very much. 
Thank you. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Shona. Thanks, Daniel. That's it for this episode of the e-commerce content creation podcast. Many thanks to our guests for this episode and to you for listening. Please check out our show notes. We covered a lot of information and many resources can be found in the show notes so that you can learn more about some of the things that we talked about. The show is produced by Creative Force, edited by Calvin Lands. Special thanks to Sean O'Meara, Shanna Ferris, and Benjamin Grimes. I'm your host, Chief Moneybags. Until next time, my friends. Mm-hmm.